Hey, this is Ryan Rashad, and you've officially arrived at the quarter mark. What it do, Ryan Rashad in the building. Welcome to another episode of the quarter mark. Yo, we finally have a a winner in the presidential race, you know, uh, President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris. So um, motherfuckers is going to have to get used to saying that. And um, no, nah, that was uh, it's been a crazy or interesting last couple of days, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, everyone's been, like, on edge about who's going to win. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't really too concerned, you know. Still got to still gotta live life and still got to do what you need to do out here, you know what I mean? But, um, no, nah, but uh, I'm I'm real excited to, to get this new episode out. And, um, first of all, the Liquid Swords album... I first listened to it about four years ago. It just, it really opened my mind to lyricism. And, you know, I was I was a fan of lyrical rappers before that. But, you know, the rhyme flow and the cadence and, you know, just as, you know, he's dope, man. You know, he, he's a dope-ass rapper. He definitely doesn't get the, the credit or the shine that he deserves. But I, uh, but for this episode, I had a great conversation with my man, Dimitri Ehrlich, and uh, we chopped it up about the Liquid Swords album. Back in 95, Dimitri, uh, a music review for, I, I believe it was Entertainment Weekly. And, uh, you know, 25, late, 25 years later, here we are, you know. So uh, anyway, without further ado, here's the latest episode of The Quarter Mark with my man, Dimitri Ehrlich. So my name is Dimitri Ehrlich, and I grew up in a small town in New Jersey, about one mile outside of New York, and I think in like 1979 or so, you know, me and my friends all discovered Rapper's Delight, and for a brief period, you know, we all started dressing up like we wanted to be breakdancers, and then when I was in high school, my senior year in high school, I started going to college. I sort of combined my senior year in high school with college, so I started going to the new school, which was in New York City in Manhattan on uh, West 12th Street. So that was like I started riding the subway by myself and seeing New York in the early 80s firsthand up close. And that October, I think, I think it was actually Halloween. So very close to right now, but however many years ago that was, 1983, I guess 37 years ago. That was the first time I really saw real breakdancing in, in Washington Square Park. And and I went to college the next year at Wesleyan as a sophomore and um, started hearing more hip hop and then. I think it was 86. I actually remember where I was. I was sitting in a parked car in Washington Heights. I was at a job driving somebody um, from one location in Queens to another location in Washington Heights, which is like upper Manhattan above Harlem. And um, and I heard uh, Criminal Minded. I heard mm. Criminal Minded and I heard Eric B. Eric B. for president. And I remember that, but I remember hearing Criminal Minded and just listening to the beat and kind of realizing that it was like, an earthquake happening in my in my life. I'd been a musician my whole life. Like, <clears throat> started playing when I was a kid and started writing songs when I was twelve. And what, been playing in bands. What did you play? Still am. Uh, I play guitar and I, I still am a professional songwriter. That's my main thing. Is I make music. I write songs now for others. But I I released a bunch of records, my three different records myself as an artist. Um, anyway, so at some point, I guess in '95, Entertainment Weekly asked me to write a review of this Jizzle record, Liquid Source, and it's so funny, I just interviewed Rizza. I did a couple articles on Rizza recently for some magazines. I've sort of gotten out of the magazine writing world altogether just because it doesn't really pay that much and 
you know, I've written probably, I don't know, a thousand articles and I just don't have that much more to say anymore about music, but, um, <laughs> but I did, um, interview RZA. So I was listening to some Wu-Tang and I, you know, of course, like all New Yorkers, I love Wu-Tang and I just remember, well, I think this was, and again, this has to be fact-checked because this is from my memory, but I think it was Jesus' second solo album and it was, he was kind of like a star. I think there were nine guys in Wu-Tang, but it was sort of an amorphous thing. But he had, on the first record, which I think is Enter the 36 Chambers, um, mm-hmm. he definitely emerged as someone people were like, you know, I mean, of course, Method Man, you know, there were a bunch of stars, ODB, but he was definitely someone that people were noticing had, you know, serious skill. And um, I think at the time, in 1995, Method Man and ODB had both released solo albums that were pretty big. So they were still together. Wu-Tang was still a group. They were kind of each starting to, like, make their own records. Mm-hmm. Um, Liquid Sword sounds, of course, it's producer I RZA, so it sounds pretty much like a Wu-Tang record sonically in terms of the music and the tracks. Um, it's got a lot of... Um, you know, it samples a lot of dialogue from Kung Fu movies. And even before this period, I was really into going, there was an old movie theater in Chinatown on Hester Street in Bowery that had these like Jackie Chan movies. And I used to go see these movies. And so I was, and I was always really into martial arts and um, not just the movies, but actually I was also trained and taught for like 37 years. So I was very into Chinese martial arts. So that's oh, wow. the reason I, I related heavily to the um, Wu-Tang Clan. Um, so there's like, Probably, it's funny, I listened to the record again today to prepare for this, and I realized, you know, there's a lot of the usual kind of early 90s kind of, you know, street street crime lingo, but there's a lot of references to philosophy and, you know, chess, and it's just, I think that's one of the things that makes the record interesting and last. Um, there's a bunch of cameos from other members of Wu-Tang, and I'm not even enough an expert when I listen. I can't always tell whose voice I'm hearing. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it's kind of a crowd feeling and a party. It's like a family affair. Um and I know the record, what I thought was interesting looking at today is that the record did pretty well. I think it was a top 10 album on the uh, Billboard um, 200, like the pop, you know, the whatever. whatever Number nine. Billboard top 200. Yeah. So it was like pretty amazing that like if you listen to it today, it's just such a, so bizarre and not pop at all. It's such a strange record. You know, people, I think it was part of that. It was the, the moment of Wu-Tang was, and there was that kind of East Coast, West Coast tension at the time and Wu-Tang really emerged as like, kind of the coolest thing to come out of New York in a long time and definitely the coolest in, Chat- in, in Staten Island, Shaolin, as we call it. The movie, uh, the title, Liquid Swords, I, I find it's funny, I looked this up today, I thought it was about more the, the like lyrical flow that his voice and his rhymes were like liquid the way they were cutting through. But um, I read today that it's actually, it's a kung fu flick, that, you know, there's a myth of like kung fu that there was a sword so sharp you could cut someone's head off and the head would still be like resting on the guy's shoulders. So it's very kind of, you know, I mean, there's definitely a lot of juvenile male kind of teenage, you know, video gamer, cartoon, anime right. kind of kung fu obsession. I don't know. I think the record, when I listened to it today, I was thinking, like, it still sounds cool to my ears, but it definitely belongs to a time and place. You know, it has that, I think, part of the, part of why it doesn't sound like contemporary hip-hop or, you know, trap with, like, the more complicated hi-hat programming is, and why some people might say it's kind of dated is, the record is definitely made, and I actually had it. I had an MPC 2002. I'm assuming Rizit used an MPC just because that was kind of like the Stradivarius at the time. Everything was done with MPCs, the Akai MPC 2000 sampler. <clears throat> so basically, we were all sampling vinyl or or, MP, or CDs. But so instead of playing anything, like, you know, if you listen to a Drake record or whatever modern hip hop right now, a lot of the sounds, there's a mixture of samples, but a lot of the sounds are actually played. Like they're, cont- they're original creations that are from Splice or from 
synthesizers or whatever. And and the scissor record like was towards the sound of it. You can it's all these weird samples weaved together. So it's like kind of like that Paul's boutique era where it's like a hundred percent of tapestry of samples. I think that's why it sounds so gritty and it sounds so you know it sounds very old school in that way. It kind of belongs to that early '90s era because it's all. It's, I, I could be wrong, but it just sounds like it's all vinyl samples. Um, mm. But the rhyming is really insane, and that's why I think that's why I think the record is still cool today. Um, um, I was looking at some of the and the album art is also got that kind of like dark, violent, like comic book you know drawing of a guy like holding a sword to someone's throat. Yeah, I mean that was what really struck me is just the sound is so dense sonically, like it's it's kind of like the music that rewards you for listening on headphones because um, there's just all these like weird string sounds and sort of cinematic atmospheric elements that are they're very musical in a way because you know we're just drawing from like i don't know what like soundtracks of films or tv shows or just weird like 1930s 1940s you know the music is all over the place but the elements are all over the place and then this is kind of not really relating to them harmonically like he's not singing or worried about the pitch of his voice around those notes he's just weaving around them rhythmically so it creates a very super intricate rhythmic pattern and then this kind of jarring atonal that's, that's what I think makes it sound kind of cool, I think, because there's all these weird, strange sounds and, like, the tracks are so layered, so it's very evocative and it just makes you feel like you're in this other, like, this movie or you're in this weird vision. And also, I think, lyrically, he, he manages to be kind of poetic but also very hard and, that, and gritty, and that's kind of a hard balance to strike. Um, I don't really know what this means, but I read some. I read that some, some person with way too much time on his hands supposedly did some kind of study and said that just had the fourth quote, fourth largest vocabulary in popular hip-hop music. So I don't know what that means, but you, know, you can tell when you listen. He's just, his language, his word choice is interesting. And there are people today, certainly, who, who do that. And there's a lot of other, you know, great rappers. I'm not saying he's alone in that, but he definitely is using language. And, you know, if you're, you're just, words are popping out, it's not just the usual stuff. So, um, no, that's that's very interesting how you broke that down. Uh, you broke it down from a very like uh, artistic standpoint, and um, no, that's man. You know, that's uh, that's really cool because um, you know most people, you know, they don't break down uh, music that way. You know, they they kind of look at it from like a more lyrical standpoint and um, things of that nature. So, no, I I, I really appreciate that perspective. But um, so you, when you wrote your review on Liquid Swords, now was that is that something that you're because um, I think you were working for Entertainment Weekly at the time, right? Yeah, but I was not on staff but at that time when I wrote that. I probably in 1995, but eventually, like I think I did like I don't know how many albums, how many reviews I wrote for Entertainment Weekly, maybe 40 or something. You know, I did a lot of stuff for them over the years, but. Um, so I was just like, I wasn't on staff and I don't remember if I pitched that to them or they, they, they asked me to write it. In some cases, what would happen is they would say, Hey, there's a new record by like, just, you want to write this review? Or sometimes I would pitch them and say, Hey, this record's coming out. Can I review it for you? I don't honestly remember, um, what was the case back then. You know, man, you read that particular record. You read my mind. Cause that was actually my next question. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, was that something that they assigned to you or is that something that you kind of uh, search for your own? But um, no. Um, so my next uh, question after that is, so after you, if you can remember, if you can like put yourself back to that time, like after you heard the record, what did you first think of it? Like what was your first like initial 
you, you know you know how music kind of does that to you you know when uh like when you first when you first hear it and it does that like it puts you in that time and place like did it did liquid source do that for you and i do remember i kind of you know it's not i mean there are reviews that i i see today and i have no memory of writing them i'm like i don't remember doing that at all um i do remember this one like you know you could have called me and said hey do you remember the review you wrote of blah 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 and i would be like did i review that record like that's how many i've written that i don't i have no memory of like probably 80 percent of the things i've written if i read them today it's like I'm reading someone else's writing. I don't remember it at all. Um, but that one I do remember writing. Because I just remember um, being really impressed with his with his rhyming um, and how intricate it was. Because, you know, remember at the time in 95, there were some. But a lot of the early rap that came before that, like, you know, KRS-One or... I mean, Rakim was different. But a lot of the early the early period stuff, like De La Soul or... I guess Tribal Cousin, but it was just basically in general, it wasn't that intricate. It was like... The rhyme flow was different. It was just, you know, it was just simpler. People hadn't, you know, now things have changed and now it's been 20, 30 years and people have done everything and there's a million different new sounds and flows happening. But at that time, and maybe still to this day, that record stood out as kind of like a very, um, it was just like virtuosity. It was like a Jimi Hendrix, you know, like when Jimi Hendrix came along and everyone was like, holy shit, this is, you know, Eric Clapton got nervous and was like, this is definitely a new, a new level of virtuosity musically. So I think, that's kind of the feeling I had. It was like, this is pretty fucking impressive. Uh, it was pretty impressive in terms of uh, just technically, like how hard it is to, you know, to write like that and to perform like that. It was not like a, you know, it wasn't like, up to the hippie, do the hippie. It was like, holy shit, this guy's like kind of <laughs> right. on fire. Right. Um, so it was more like that. Like you're watching, you know, Floyd Mayweather. You're not watching Golden Gloves. Ah, interesting. Interesting correlation. Okay, okay. I got you. I got you. But anyway, that's my memory. That's, that was my main my main memory. It was like, it was just like this is pretty incredible, you know, skill set. Right. You um, <laughs> yeah. No, you gave it a B plus. And uh, before we um, before we got on the phone, I told you I thought that was pretty spot on as far as um, what I thought the album you know is what it sounds like. Uh, I thought it's you know it's a pretty terrific album myself. So RZA said that the album was intended for like college age kids. Um, now, do you can you see that as far as like I guess sonically, or you know, I think he was maybe coming at it from like a lyrical standpoint and how Jizza uh, raps and like you know, it's more of a like intellectual rap. Like, do you like what do you make of that? Um, I've never heard that before. So I don't know what that means exactly, but I guess he's saying it's not it's not for kids, and he's just saying that the language is kind of you know a little bit elevated in events. So I would I would say it's true. Although you know, kids, high school kids aspire to be cool and want to you know, and I don't know what the actual demographic was who bought the record or listened to it. But probably probably it was people in their twenties. I don't know if they were in college or not, but they were probably of the age to be in college. Yeah, I mean, I think that's reasonable because it's a little bit more it's a little more sophisticated, and it's not just a record that's like you know about having, it's not a party record that's about like, you know, drinking and smoking and bitches and hoes and whatever it's got, it's got more meaning to it and more, it's, it's a little more sophisticated. So maybe that's what he was saying is that it's kind of a more um, adult kind of record, I guess. Right. Right. No, I agree. Um, uh, you know, and, and honestly, you know, I think it's, I think it's really more for like pure hip hop heads. If you think about it, because, um, 
no real like commercial records on there like nothing that you can like really dance to you know a lot of a lot of lyric you know a lot of trickery with the words and things like that so um so yeah i think that's why i was surprised yeah i was surprised it was you know i mean it's a platinum record now which is amazing because it's amazing if you think about records now like even a big record by ariana grande or whatever i mean this record is so far from being commercial in that sense or even compared to the commercial records of the time in hip-hop like ll cool j or whatever there's nothing it's not in any way there's nothing catchy about it you know it's not like there's not hooks that you're like that's stuck in my head but it's just it's more the integrity of the record it's cool that's why i'm saying it's more of a more of an artistic accomplishment because it's it's certainly not in any way like a, a catchy pop record in any sense. There's nothing, there's no like, you know, attempt to do that or kowtow to anything in terms of trying to like be commercial. No, I totally agree, man. Okay, so last question. What should people like take away from this album? If someone is interested in listening to it, you know, give them some, like give them a reason that they should. Um, I would just say if you listen to this record, listen with headphones and do something that nobody does anymore, which is just close your eyes and listen to the music. Because a lot of times now we put music on when we work out or when we're walking or cooking or doing chores or whatever. We're not really, it's like music has become just a background wallpaper to do something else to as opposed to really give it attention. But this is a record that is worth, it will reward your paying attention to and it will reward some focus. And concentration and, and analysis because it's it's got a lot of like nuggets buried in there that are worth um worth studying carefully so it's i would just say the way to listen to this record is you know sit down in a chair or on your couch and close your eyes and put on headphones and just take whatever 45 minutes and just really listen to the record this is one of those records that has a lot buried in it that's worth checking it's worth studying this is how the masters did it back when i know i sound like an old man but you know you young kids, check it out. See <laughs> how yeah, we used to do it. Hey man, you know I'm, you know I'm I'm not you know uh, um, what do they call it a uh, oh man what do they call it uh, um, spring chicken myself. No, you know I first listened to this a little bit over four years ago. I did basically what you just said, man. I just put on my headphones and I just like listened to it. I listened to the entire thing. Man, I was really impressed, you know. I just, like, his lyrics, he's really, like, he's really an interesting rapper. Like, uh, he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, for being, like, such a great lyricist, you know. Um, he's probably, what, the, like, the seventh most popular Wu-Tang member, you know, if you, if you broke it down, maybe the seventh or sixth most popular he could go toe to toe with anyone as far as like lyrics. Yeah, um, that, is, that is true. That's weird. Like a like a superhero team league or whatever, like the Justice League a little bit. You know, they're all kind of like superheroes in a way. Once again, a big thank you to Dimitri Ehrlich for his interesting perspective and for also you know bringing uh, bringing good energy and a great sense of humor to the interview. You know, that's that's all the journalists or you know, a writer can ask for is uh, that the person that they interview is just, you know, a great person to talk to. And uh, I couldn't be more satisfied. So thank you again, Dimitri. And, uh, yo, I got a special episode coming up for the next one. Uh, it's a little different, a uh, little twist to it, but, um, you know, it should be great. 
Yo, until next time, this is Ryan Rashad. Y'all be easy. Y'all be blessed.